This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Sorry I missed you last week, but I was on a cruise to Alaska, which I'd like to talk a little bit about tonight. Um, learned a lot of lessons on this cruise to Alaska. Baruch Hashem was really, really nice. Um, before I went on this cruise, I was extremely scared of water. Uh, I don't know what happened when I was a kid. I think I fell asleep in the bathtub, maybe. I'm not sure. But since then, I haven't gone into a pool or water or an ocean or just don't like water. I don't like being in water. Um, so for many, many years, I've been invited to go on many cruises to be the speaker. Free cruise. It's amazing. And my wife really wanted to go on a cruise because uh, she went once with her friends and it was amazing and she wanted to go. And I was like, no. I don't, I'm, I'm seasick, I'm motion sickness, I'm, I'm not going to get up there and be throwing up for seven days. And how am I going to give a share if I'm sick, right? So I'm going to have to tell everyone to come outside while I'm throwing up and in between I'll say a few words. So I said I'm, I didn't want to go, but it's part of the share. But I really saw that my wife really, really wanted to go and my friend, and, and they're going to Alaska and there's like three places in the world outside of Eretz that I wanted to see. And that was Alaska, Australia, and South Africa. Because I'm, I'm very into connecting to God through what they call nature. I don't like to call it nature because nothing, nature means natural. Nothing's natural. Everything, everything Hashem created and He has to be creating every second or it doesn't exist. So nature just means like, the word nature means sort of, it's just set up. Random. It's not. So I don't like to use that word, but that's, that's the English word for, so, I'm very into that. I'm even more than plants and trees, more into animals. As you know, Ornava was founded on the butterfly. You know, so I studied the butterfly and, and, the, and the oyster, the pearl, and spoke about the fascinating what you see in the summer. I haven't said it in many years. Maybe we'll talk about it tonight. Um, we used to call them lightning bugs. Um, they don't call them lightning bugs anymore. They call them fireflies. And when you're up in the bungalow, you see them lighting up all the time. And nobody really thinks about that a bug lights up. People don't light up. Animals don't light up. No other bug lights up. Why does Hashem do that? But I, as a little boy, that was the way my mind worked. And I asked a lot of questions. And I didn't understand, like, why does Hashem have a bug that lights up? And, of course, we used to collect them and put them in a jar and turn off the lights in our room. And we used to watch them never. You know what the kids do a whole summer? They collect salamanders. Poor salamanders coming when the kids come up July, they're like, we're done, right? I'm like, don't bring salamanders into the house. They want to live in the grass. What do you, you know, you have to, re, you have to respect Hashem's creatures. There's a thing called Tzav al But anyway, just to tell you real fast, not, not that this was part of my share tonight. So I didn't understand why these bugs lit up. So I was thinking to myself, if God created a bug that lights up, what bug should that be? A mosquito. Because at night when your lights are off in your room and he's coming to bite you and he's lighting up, you'll kill him. So if there's any bug in the world that should, should light up that would be good for humans, if it lit up, imagine mosquitoes would light up, we'd be whacking them all night. They wouldn't be able to bite us. But Hashem didn't make mosquitoes light up. Mosquitoes do other things. They bite you. So I decided to investigate and learn, even though what guy studies, you know, unless you take it as a subject, bugs, why does this firefly light up? Anyone here, anyone here know why the firefly lights up? See, you live in a Muncie, and all those fireflies, you have no idea why. Just walk by, 
and you got bugs lighting up all around you. They're not plugged in. They don't got batteries. They don't run on gas. What makes a bug light up? It's electric. Then we can put them in the car and just make cars run, right? What makes a bug light up? So I'm not going to get into the whole science of it. It's blood. It's chlorophyll. It's a little bit of a different blood, and it's sort of, um, why does it light up? So listen to this. So if you Google it, you have internet, but you Google it, it'll tell you the following. Bugs eat bugs. The way Hashem created the world, the bigger animal eats the smaller, which eats the smaller, which eats the smaller, right? There's a, there's a certain way that it works. The little fish eats the, the bigger fish eats the bigger fish. And then I met a whale in Alaska. That's a really big fish. And he eats all the fish. Um, I was hoping he didn't eat me, but he didn't. So the blood of the, of this little bug that lights up, of the firefly, is extremely bitter. Not like any other bug. It's very, very bitter. The way bugs can imagine at Wallace's, this is what I used to do as a kid. I used to study this stuff. So the way, the way bugs eat bugs is the way fish eat fish. Not head on. They don't go head on. They eat it from the back. So the big bug, the little bug's flying around and the big bug's, ha <laughs> shalom aleichem, and he's gone. Not head first. He does, I think, I think, I happen to think that has to do with Hashem. Because it's more painful if you see the one that's eating you. So, like, the bug never knew what hit it. If it sees the other bug coming at it, it has a moment, if bugs have moments, it has a moment of, of fright, because this thing that's going to eat it's right there, it's looking at it. So, the thing I shouldn't create that it gets eaten from behind, also by fish, it never knew what hit it. By the time it knows what hit it, it's not here anymore. So, the way I shouldn't create it is that they eat from the back. Now, it's, it's the existence of the species. The, the, the biggest bug is the bug that has all the other bugs in it. Um, but if a bug would bite the firefly, because its blood is so bitter, it will spit it out. And therefore, it would be wasted. The death of the small bug is in order to feed the bigger bug. But if the bug is going to kill it and then spit it out, the, the firefly is being eaten for nothing. So specifically on the one bug that no bug will eat because its blood is so bitter, Hashem put a little light in the rearview mirror, a little teeny light, so that the other bugs know, this bug, I'm not eating because it tastes disgusting. So it's the survival of the firefly that it should not be wasted. If the other bug would eat it, there would be no light there. But because it's going to be spit out, it's just going to die for nothing. No one's going to gain from it. Hashem created the firefly in his Bria. That's something crazy that doesn't exist in the whole world. That a bug or an animal or a human, we don't light up. Nobody lights up. There's nothing in the world that lights up. There's some fish in the sea that sort of light up, but not like that. And he created that to protect the silly little, so big deal. So a firefly would be bitten and killed for no reason. Who in this room really cares? A couple of fireflies are going to get spit out. And the answer is no waste in this world. No waste. Hashem doesn't waste a bug. And if you study this and you... How could you be an atheist? Wait, let me tell you about this trip. So I didn't want to go. But my wife wanted to go. And I wanted to make her happy. So I'm like, I'm going. 
tell him I'm coming. And everything's all set up. And I ordered Dramamine patches, three-day Dramamine patches. I ordered this other medicine that works for three days. And I was still nervous. Right? Imagine me walking around with a patch on my head. Like, right, you know? I was still nervous. So I, I got a... Um, I got a prescription for the strongest anti-nausea medicine that exists. When you get nauseous, you put it under your tongue. Within 30 seconds, it works. It's used for people who are in chemotherapy and become very nauseous. This is what it's used. I said, I'll take it. So I have my whole box of every kind of medicine that you can imagine because I'm going on this trip and I'm going to try not to be seasick. So we get on a boat. This thing is like, it's a, it's, there's 2,700 passengers and 1,300 workers. So there's 4,000 people on this boat. And I'm thinking claustrophobia. I got that also. I'm like, this is not going to work. I have my medicine with me. I was like, okay. You get on the boat. And I don't know whoever said that you don't feel these things. That's like a city. Yeah. It's like, someone told me like, don't worry, Rabbi Wallenstein. All my friends, you can get on that boat, it's like a city. I'm like, right, like Los Angeles in an earthquake, okay? It's like a city, but it's like Los Angeles in an earthquake. That thing shakes. Whoever said it doesn't shake. So it starts going, and it's shaking. And I'm not getting nauseous. Anyway, to make a long story short, from the day it left, and we... We went through some very rough waters because up there in Alaska, there's a lot of very rough waters, and that boat was moving. And I did not feel nausea. I was not dizzy. I did not take a pill. I did not stop eating. Maybe it would have been better if I was nauseous. I'm not sure. It was amazing. And what I, what I learned from that is that it's the fear. Yes. Of the oh no, you got you gotta you gotta try it. Right. You know, if you try it and you get nauseous, okay. But if you don't try it, you don't have the whole experience. Even me, I didn't want to try it. Okay, so we, we, we get to Alaska. Let's tell you some fascinating things. So the first of all, we took a helicopter to a glacier, which is up, up, up in the mountains. They told us it's twenty degrees on the boat. Right off the boat, it was 60 degrees. On top of the mountain, it was 20 degrees. And you, the helicopter lands on the glacier. The glacier is a river of ice that goes between mountains. And because it's ice, it cracks the mountains and it makes its path. It's, it's crazy. So we land on this glacier of ice. And the ice, I should have brought pictures with me. The ice is blue. I never saw blue ice in my life. I mean, I did in the freezer for if you get, if you break something, you know, to put on your, but I never saw blue ice in my life. So the girl with a very serious face says, do you know why this ice is blue? It's a lot of Windex in it. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, what are you talking about? She goes, no, the ice is blue because the sunlight, you know, you have Roy Gabiv. So in a prism, you have all these red, orange, green, yellow, whatever, indeed, all those different prism colors. But the blue, it's not strong enough. It penetrates the ice and it's not strong enough to go through. All the other colors go through, but the blue is trapped. Everyone's like, wow, you know. Because if you learn about colors, blue is on the lowest of the whatever. And I'm thinking, wrong. Lady, I'm not going to make a whole speech. You're wrong. 
there's a Rashi. And the Rashi says that the reason we wore tcheles, blue wool, in your tzitzes when they had tcheles, why was it blue wool? Because the Shemayim is blue. So when you wear blue wool, your tzitzes, you look at them, it reminds you of the blue Shemayim. Why is Shemayim blue? Why is Shemayim blue? So Rashi says, because the waters of Shemayim reflect the Kisya Kavod, the throne of God. And the throne of God is made out of, says Rashi, sapphire. The most pure blue that there is. So the Shemayim reflects the blue of Hashem's Kisya Kavod. At the same time, don't really understand what it means, but there's some kind of Kerach, there's some kind of ice in Shemayim. Whatever in Yechesko, when he saw his Nevius, whatever it was, there, there's a certain t- there's ice in Shemayim. And I felt very much, I'm, I was on the top of the world, I'm in Alaska, the top of the world, uh, on the top of this glacier. And I'm like, no, this is not about color. This is about reflecting the beauty of Hashem's world. It's reflecting the Shemayim, which is reflecting the Kisar Kavod. It's all tied into the Kisar Kavod. And while everybody was taking pictures, I was just looking around, I was like, if we took all the Jewish kids, all the Jewish people, on an Alaskan cruise and took him up there no more atheists it's over you cannot be in that part of the world you cannot be in Hashem's Bria and not understand that it has to be a master plan and we went the third day we went to a rainforest in Alaska and I'm not into foresting that's not my thing I was looking for beers and salmon and and so unbelievable bald eagles nine feet the wings are nine feet you know what nine feet is right almost to this roof amazing bird it's it's uh and i remember the Dvatara rashi i think it's a rashi that the eagle carries its babies on its wings every other bird carries its babies in its claws and it, and it's what that i think it's rashi or mafoshim being down alkanfei nisharim hashem carries us al Nisharim. Why Kanfei Nisharim? Because the birds, regular birds, are scared of prey above them. There are bigger birds that fly above them. And if they're going to carry the babies on their wings, they're going to come down and snatch their babies. So they carry them in their claws, and the only fear they have is from us, humans, shooting up. The eagle, there's nothing that flies higher than the eagle. So it's not worried about anything above it. It's only worried about getting shot, the human being getting shot. So it protects its children. By ca- it's the only bird that carries its babies on its wings, so that from so that the human that nobody could hurt its babies. The only way to hurt its baby, you got to shoot me. You shoot me, the babies is on the wings. And you see it. You see this bird. It's not normal. But the point I want to make is like this. And somebody came over to me short tonight. He says, "Like wow." So we go into this rainforest, and there are caves made out of roots. Of trees, not rock. Because there's not enough rock on this island that we went. There's not enough rock. There's very little rock, but there's a crazy amount of trees. So these roots grow in such a twisted way that you're actually looking at a cave. And he told us that the beers, there are more beers than humans in, in Alaska. There are more beers than humans in Alaska. Okay? So the beers hibernate in that tree root cave 
And he shows us right next to the cave is a, you saw a whole bunch, I have pictures of it, a whole bunch of the same kind of plant growing. They call it a cabbage plant. It's not a cabbage plant, they call it a cabbage plant. What's this plant do to the beer? When the beer eats this plant, it totally constipates it. It cannot go to the bathroom for a very long time. So before he goes into the cave to hibernate for months, so that he doesn't have to go to the bathroom when he's sleeping, he eats these plants that Hashem put right, Mamish, right next to his cave. Hashem made these plants grow right next to his cave, so he doesn't have to go anywhere. He eats them, he's constipated, he can't go to the bathroom, and he sleeps for six months. Right next to those plants, are, and, and I have pictures of it, are another group of plants. Very weird looking plants. He says, these plants do the opposite. When the bear comes out of hibernation, he has to clean himself out. He was sleeping for six months. The other plants work as a crazy laxative. So when the bear wakes up, he eats the other plant, and he goes to the bathroom, and everything comes out. And both these plants grow wherever there's a cave. That's where these two plants grow. No cave, no plants. Because Baruch was in the woods by every single bear, making sure that the right plants are going. It's not normal. How could you not say, this just happened? And then he takes us to this tree, this huge, like, mushroom growing out of the tree. It's called beer's bread. They eat it, right? And he, sh- he showed us that some of them fell onto the floor. They grow so big, these mushrooms, or whatever they are exactly, that, the tree, that they can't hold onto the tree anymore, and they fall off the tree. Now, why would Hashem do that? It, it, it's, it's in a forest. There's nobody watching this, right? So, it's in a forest. Why would Hashem make something grow, overgrow itself, so it can't hold on to the tree and fall to the ground? He asked this question. He didn't say, why Hashem? He said, why does nature do this? And he said that this plant that grows out of the tree sucks a lot of the minerals and nutrients out of the tree. And that's how the tree lives for 300 years. 400 years. These trees were white, like, what happens? The tree's roots take all the minerals out of the ground. That's how it grows, right? Now there's no more minerals in the ground. So the tree's going to die. This plant sucks out the minerals from the tree, becomes too big to lay on the tree, falls back into the ground, puts the minerals back into the ground, so the tree has minerals to suck out of the ground to continue growing. I'm standing there, I'm like, God, it's the middle of the woods. Nobody sees what you're doing. No one has any idea that the tree is taking nutrients and you got to bring the nutrients back into the ground. But how do you get the nutrients back into the ground? Unless the tree dies and rots, right? How do you get the, the nutrients back into the ground? So you have this weird plant. Look at this plant. It's like the weirdest thing you ever saw. This weird plant growing on a tree, sucking the minerals out, not to kill it, but enough. Then it falls off, goes into the ground. The tree takes the unica, the nutrition from that, and it keeps going and keeps going every single year. It takes its nutrients, nutrients fall back, and continues 100, 200, 300, 400. There were trees that were 500 years old. They were, they were half this room. And I'm like, oh, if I could just take my class up there. It's expensive, expensive. A cruise is very expensive. But it's like, the niflis habayra, how, how the bears stand by the water and fish the salmon 
and you just you just see how life you know how, I was trying to figure out why this salmon not that salmon it's like a thousand salmon going up and he hops one salmon away I guess in that life also some people are just not lucky whatever but it's also everything's by shit who knows what the Gilgal is the Tikkun I don't know but it was just it's just amazing the cycle of life the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu keeps the world and nobody sees this nobody's in the woods nobody appreciates it and, and this woods is I think, I, think, I think he said it's a million two hundred eighty thousand acres it's like the great it's like up there it's like land 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 and everything is growing and feeding itself and growing and feeding itself if you, you see a Kudosh creation it's not normal and you see a lot of water a lot of water because the boat travels for two days to get where it's going and, and it's just it's awesome to look at an ocean when you're on a boat it's like just water and so much water there, three quarters of the world girls three quarters of the world is under water and we don't see what's going on underneath there we are disconnected from three quarters of our world fish, coral, plant it's a whole world we never see it we're not down we don't see it so I, I'm traveling over this world on a boat and I'm thinking to myself there's a whole world underneath the boat that we'll never see and it's very interesting because there's waves now I have to tell you something about waves there's a beautiful I believe it's Rav Chaim Vital or it's a Zaya. I'm not sure where I saw it about waves waves you go to the ocean there are waves anybody in this room ever asked why are there waves lakes don't have waves or the ocean have waves where do waves come from? There's some guy making wa- Where do waves come? The moon. Why, sh- why are there waves? So the Zayar, I believe it's the Zayar. Zayar says that every wave has a malach. Every wave has a malach. And they talk to each other. And that the reason that there are waves is that when Hashem, before Hashem created the world, right? It says the world was soyu vavayu, right? Let's, let's take a look at it. Everyone thinks the world was nothing. The, the world before Hashem created was something. Right? When he created that, it doesn't say. That's before before Beratius. And it was dark, right? It was darkness, there was no light. And the Spirit of God, Mirachephes, was floating on the water. Never said water was created. Where did the water come from? First passing Beratius, girls. Where did the water come from? It's before the first passing, I guess. God was floating on the water. It doesn't say anywhere in Beratius Hashem created water. He separated water. He took water to Shamayim. When did he create water? It's not in this book. The world was here already with water. The world was water. But humans can't live on water. So Hashem separated water. He took the water off the ground. That's how we have earth. From before Briah, the, the water wants to go back to the way it was. The water wants to take over the world. The water wants to cover the whole world. Because before creation, that's what the water did. So water wants to cover the whole world. So every wave in the ocean, says Isaiah, wants to come on on the land and cover the whole world. The ocean is trying 
every 10 seconds, if you stand by the beach, 10 seconds of wave, every 10 seconds the ocean is saying, I'm covering the world. And then the beach pushes it back. Says the Zion, this is a very important lesson in life. The way the Malachim talk to each other. So you have this wave, and he comes to the beach, and now he's going back out into the ocean, right? And you have the wave coming in. And the wave coming the wave coming back into the ocean tells the wave coming in, forget about it. It ain't gonna happen. You wanna take over the world like I did? There's a beach. And there's sand, and it's gonna push it, push you back into the water. But the wave, you ever see a wave turn around in the middle of coming? No, it doesn't turn around. Why not? Listen to this. The malach of the wave that got pushed back into the ocean tells the malach of the wave that's coming towards the beach, right? Forget about it. I got pushed back into the ocean. The malach coming to the beach says, just because you didn't make it has nothing to do with me not making it. So I'm gonna give it a shot. Malachim. And he tries, and he doesn't make it. And the next one tries, and they don't make it. And the next one tries, and they don't make it. But they all believe on the way in, you didn't make it, doesn't mean I'm not going to make it. I am going to make it. And that is why we have waves. Waves are trying to take over the world. And that's how a mikvah of Mayim, says the Zoyar, is metire a person, whether woman or man. How does a mikvah of water be metire or dishes or whatever? How does a mikvah of water work? How does it work? You go into 40 so of water, you go in tama, you come in tar. How does that work? So the Zoya says that mikvah water has to be rainwater. Right? It has to be rainwater. Rain, rainwater comes from Shemayim. That happened after Hashem split the water from here and he took the water up there. So that was post-creation. Right? Before creation, all the water was one. He separated the water and he made Shemayim. So a mikvah, which is made from rainwater, which came down to this world and mixed with the water down here, right? So you are now before creation. Because the water from there is now here. And that's how it was before creation. So when a person goes into a mikvah, they're in a body of, they're in a place before Tama. When did, when did Tama impurity come to the world from eating from the tree? When they ate from the tree, that's when she became impure. That's when the whole world became impure. So before that Aveira, the world was pure. So when a person goes into 40 saw of water and their head is totally immersed in the water, they are now in a place before creation. The place before creation, there was no sin. There was no impurity. So by placing yourself in that place, even for one second, you are now come out as a new Bria, because you were a new creation, because you were in a body of water that was pre-creation. So just sitting on a boat, looking at a bunch of waves surrounded by water, you can learn a lot. There's a lot out there that Hashem created that you can learn a firefly. Hashem protected this little guy so that no one should eat him for no reason. It also says in the same Google, in the same science, it has to do something with mating. I don't, I didn't understand exactly. It's the female that lights up or the male that lights up. I'm not sure exactly which one it is, but it has to do with both those reasons. Because Baruch Hu makes sure that the beer should not have to go to the bathroom in the middle of his six months sleeping. Then he makes sure that he shouldn't be constipated when he comes out and not feel well when he's finished sleeping. He's worried about the beer. 
He's surely, surely worried about every one of us. He's worried about a bug. He's definitely worried about all of us. And definitely everything that you need is there. If you think he cares about a bear, he definitely cares about a human being. You just have to, have to you have to have a cross the top. You have to realize. And I really, on this trip, I really, really realized what, what it was all about. Now, the reason I told you the first part that I didn't want to go is like this. In last week's Parsha, I wasn't here. In Parsha's Akev, is a very interesting Pasuk. Do you ever turn around to God and say, what do you want from me? Hashem, I can't take this anymore. What do you want from me? It's enough, right? And people say that. You're going through stuff. Like, Hashem, what do you want from me? I'm dominating. I'm saying to him, I'm trying. What do you want from me? That Pasuk, that question, is in the Chumash. Pasuk, Yud Beis, in Perek Yud. Be'ata Yisrael. And now, Yisrael, what does God want from you? He's asking that question. What does God want from you? So he answers it, Moshe To fear or to be in awe of Hashem your God. To go in all his ways. And to love him. First your heart and then your soul. What does this mean to love him? What does it mean to love someone? It's a translation of that word. I should buy Hashem a Hallmark card. I should give him a rose. I should tell him I love you. Can I give you a hug? How do you love God? How does a human being love God? Anyone have an answer? How do you love God? Yes. What does that mean? What does that word mean? What? What does that word mean? Yeah. I'm going to help you define it. I'm going to help you define it from, from a Mishnah. What? So you're making him happy. How do you love him? What, is that, what is that word? How do you love someone else? You love somebody. What does that mean? You'll you'll make them breakfast. You'll buy them a car. You, what does that mean? So the real translation to break it down, and I'll and I'll prove it to you from a Mishnah, is as follows. And we've talked about this many times. It means to sacrifice, which is a, a bad word, but I'll, I'll I'll break it down. I'll explain to you what it means. To love someone means. That their happiness, the other person in the relationship's happiness, makes you happy. You are happy when that other person is happy. What does that mean? For instance, guys get married, I always try to explain to them, like women and men shop very differently. We go into a store, six suits, six ties, six pairs of pants, five, five, three pairs of shoes, a brand new Borsalino hat. 22 minutes the whole thing a lady goes into a store 6 hours 7 hours 8 hours she tried on 40 dresses she didn't really want to buy any because they're going to go on sale anyway in, in a month right 
and she's very happy. She goes home, and it, it's the art of shopping. It's not the collection of things. You can go five, a lady can go five hours, come home with nothing, and be the happiest lady in the whole world. Guys, we don't understand that. Standing there for five hours, we got fifteen hangers on our fingers. Our blood stopped already two hours ago, right? On our, and 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 she's dancing around the store, and she's having the greatest time. So there's two ways of doing. There's two ways of having a relationship. It's like okay, okay. I gave away my Sunday for you, not being with my friends. So next Sunday, I'm going to a football game. You're going with me. A deal. Or, there's nothing to do with me next week. There's no deal here. Shefala, you like to shop for five hours and not buy anything? That's what makes you happy? You're smiling? I'm also smiling. That's fantastic. That's the ultimate. And she feels the same way. She took us to the football game. She hates men banging into each other, smacking their head into the ground. Everyone smells from beer, right? But he's a big giant fan, and he's sitting there, and she's like, I can't look at this. And the guy's cursing four-letter words, and, and her husband's sitting there, he's like, go, Giants, go. And he's screaming, and she's looking at it, and, 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 and she sees how he hasn't been this excited in 20 years, and he's happy, and she's like, hey, that's great. He's happy. I'm happy. Okay, go, Giants. She's screaming. He's like, you don't know anything about football? I don't know, but you like it, so I'm doing it. I'm just giving you an example. Well, I'll give you a much holier example. And I know girls like this. My husband goes to learn. And he comes back after a shear. And he's like, the Rebbe asked a question. Nobody knew the answer. I got to tell you this question. And I, I called out the answer. And everybody was looking like amazed. It was a Kiva eager answer. And he's all lit up about what he just learned and what he answered. And she's not really interested in the Gemara and Kedushin, Rebbe Kiva eager, Right? But she's like, he is so happy. She's so happy that he's happy, even though she's not into Rebbe Kiva Eger. But my husband is happy about learning. If he's, his, and I've, I've seen this many times, his learning makes him happy, I am happy, even if I have to go to work. Even if I, it's not, wasn't my plan in life. He is so happy learning, and he's not, he's not, he's learning. He's not playing games. And he's so happy, that makes me happy. So making the, the other person's happiness is your happiness for real? No deals? That is love. How do you know this? Of course I have a source. I never say anything without a source. I'm going to tell you the source. A source is a Mishnah and the greatest sacrifice that ever happened. Avram Avinu. Let's take a look at love. The final test of his love for God was the ultimate sacrifice. Now let's look at that sacrifice. He was so happy to shecht his son. Because that's what made Hashem happy. Hashem asked me to do this. He was so happy that the Malach said, stop. And he had to say it again. It wasn't like, oh good, thank God, I don't have to do this. Not only that, but we spoke about this. He was so happy that he was able to sacrifice his child for Hashem. That when Hashem said no, he couldn't deal with it. So he found an aisle, a, a ram, to kill instead. So at least Hashem will be a little happy. His, his sacrifice of Yitzchak wasn't a painful sacrifice for Varam Avinu. It was the happiest moment of his life. Hashem was scared he wouldn't stop. And we know in, in the Zayar it says that he already cut one of the pipes in Yitzhak's neck. He didn't even have a knife anymore. The Malach 
the Malach, I'll show it to you in the Mepharshim, the Malach, the Satan, or the Malach, because he didn't want him to do it, because that would be unbelievable for Klai Yisrael, knocked the knife out of his hand. It was laying on the floor. And the Medrash says that he went to choke Yitzchak with his two hands, to choke him, to bring this carbon to Hashem. There was no stopping him. Hashem's simcha was his simcha. That's one place. There's a mission in Pirkei Avos. This is, a, this is a very important interrelationship. And I have to tell you that in the end, and this is what happened on the boat, I did not want to go on the boat. At all. In fact, two weeks before the cruise, I came up with an excuse. I said, I just opened a rehab with a ranch. I got to be busy with the horses. I can't go. And I told my wife, I really don't want to go. I'm gonna get, I was very nervous. She's like, you know what? If you don't really want to go, okay. So I called up Avrami Flam who runs and I'm like, I, I can't go. I, 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 I'm sorry to do this to you. Uh, I got this ranch and this, and I, I, I can't go. He's like, you cannot cancel. I advertised you. You cannot cancel. I am so happy that I went. I only went to make my wife happy. I went because she wanted to go on a cruise and she, she knew that I would enjoy it even though I didn't think I would enjoy it. In the end, I enjoyed it more than she did. I would go tomorrow to Alaska again. In a minute on that boat. In a minute. So I went to make her happy. In the end, I was more happy than she was. So in a relationship, sometimes, not sometimes, if, if that's what makes you, again, if a person asks you to go stand on your head, that's going to make me happy, you don't have to do that. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. But anything logically that makes sense that the person that's healthy and the person really wants, and you see that, and that's what makes them happy, then that makes you happy. You make a coffee for your wife, or you make coffee for your husband every morning, and you, and you walk upstairs with the coffee, and you put it down, and you're fashlept, and fakrank, and you're like in a bad mood, and you know, now she, if I make her a coffee, then she better make me dinner. That's not a relationship. And then you put the coffee down, or whatever you're putting down there, knowing that when the person opens their eyes, their coffee is waiting for them, that they're going to be happy, and you walk out of the room with a smile on your face, because I just did something that's going to make my, the person in my relationship happy. That's love. That's what Hashem says in the Pasuk. What do I want from you? I want you to love me. I want you not to do things because you're scared of me, because you want to go to Ganeiden, that you have some type of alternative reason. I want to have a relationship with you that what makes me happy makes you happy. And what makes you happy, says Hashem, makes me happy. Now, where do we see that? Mishnah, the one that I was looking for that I couldn't find. The Mishnah says the following. I got to find it again. Okay. You could not have run away so fast. Yeah. Who are you, Aymer Gamliel, the son of Rabbi Yehuda said? I say, Make God's, listen carefully, this is exactly what I said the whole share now. Make his will, his will, make God's will your will. My wife wants to go on a cruise, that's what I want. Wow. That's what I want. I want to go on a cruise, that's my will. Not I'm going to do what you want. What you want becomes my want. That's taking two people and making them one. That's the ultimate relationship. So the Mishnah says, I say with so no kirtonecha, 
make God's rutzon your rutzon. Kedei sheyaseh ritzon chakirtzono. If you do that, your will and his will become one will. And Hashem says, If you break your will to do the will of God, Hashem says, I will break the will of others that want to hurt you, or the Satan that wants to make you do Averis. I will break his will because your will became my will. That is the ultimate relationship between a person and another person or a person and God. And that's what Hashem says. What do I want from you? I want you to want what I want so that I can want what you want. And it's all connected to this month, Elul. Elul is Ani Ludaidi Ludaidi Li. I am to my loved one as my loved one is to me. Sounds very uh, hallmarky. Right? I'm to my loved one as my. Who's, who takes the first step in the relationship in Elul? Ani Ledaidi. All the other times, Hashem takes the first step. In Elul, we have to take Ani Ledaidi. I'm going to show my love to you, Hashem, Udaidili, and you'll show your love to me. We take the first step in Elul. Elul is Rosh Chodesh Elul, is Shabbos and Sunday. Elul is very big. Elul is the time for doing tshuva. But we have to take the first step. We have to take the first step, then Hashem takes the next step. Okay, we're going to close. I just want to tell you two things. Number one, that Baruch Hashem, the, the small book, uh, the pocket-sized book on Let There Be Rain, Akar Satov, went to print, and it will be in the stores of Mitzvah Hashem. I know a lot of people dedicated who are watching, dedicated days with Zech and Ishmas. It will be in the stores within the next two weeks. It will be in the stores for Elul and for Yantif. So, um, everyone can buy the pocket size, put it in your pocketbook or your bag, whatever it is. And you can learn it on the train. You can learn it in the rain. You can learn it on the bus. You can learn it anywhere. Little pocket size. It's a little bit cheaper. That's number one. Number two, my poet, Oliver Shalom, Nechama, Nancy, who sat here. Well, actually, she sat here and I sat here and opened up every one of my shiurim with a poem. Her dream was that Ornava should take her poems and produce a book a real book a book that they'll have in bookstores and we were very excited and really wanted to get it out last year so that she could do a book signing but she wasn't alive anymore last year by the time we did Avina Malkeinu because she passed away right after Tishabah Baruch Hashem with Avivit's help the book went to press it's being published by Targum which Targum is a big publisher. And I saw the book. It's absolutely amazing. It has all her poems in it. Mitzvah Shem, we're going to be selling it. We only, we only made 250 books. We're going to be selling it. And the proceeds that we make on the book, it'll either be 15 or $20. The proceeds will be put together to um, donate a mezuzah in the rehab. And, of course, we'll have a plaque underneath the mezuzah that that was donated in memory of the Chama Bas Avraham. And um, it was her dream. Her dream was to have a book. Well, she's about to have a book. It should be out within two weeks. We'll only be selling it here, and it'll be selling, and it's going to be in Amazon. So you can get it in Amazon. I read it. I read it through. It's not normal. It's not normal to go from where she started to where she ended 
her relationship with Hashem, I did not know. I mean, I knew that she became religious and she cautioned her, but I did not know that she got so connected. Amazing poems. Beautiful, beautiful poems. And Hashem, we produced 250 books. Um, I want to end with this week's parsha, which is Parsha's Re'e. Just a very short word on this week's parsha. I'll have you out of here in three minutes. So the parsha begins this week as follows. Re'e, look, see, re'e, see. Anoichi, I'm changing it from the regular way that we read it. Re'e, see, anoichi, me. Shem says, see me. Noisein lifnechem hayom. I am putting before you today. Bracha uklala. A blessing or a curse. That's how bracha, what's the blessing he's putting in front of us? If you're going to listen to the mitzvahs that Hashem commanded you today, and the Pasuk doesn't tell us the blessing. Haklala, the curse is, you're not going to listen. You go after Derek. Hashem that I commanded you, and you're going to go after other gods that you don't know, and it doesn't say the curse. So it says, come look, here's the bracha, if you're good, it doesn't say the bracha. But if you're bad, here's the klala, and it doesn't say the klala. What's going on over here? And the answer is, that's not what's go- that's not what the Pasuk said. Re'eh, look. What is the bracha? Not that you're going to get a reward. The bracha is, If you listen to the mitzvahs that I command you, that is the greatest bracha in the world, to be able to connect to Hashem through His mitzvahs. What's the biggest klala? Not that if you're going to do it, you're going to go to Gehenim. It's not what the Pasuk is saying. The Pasuk is saying, the biggest klala is if you go off the derech, if you don't listen to my mitzvahs, if you serve other gods, that is the klala. Not, you're going to be cursed, you're going to get punished. No, that is the klala. What does this mean? That that every single day I'm giving you a bracha klala. So he says here, very, very nice. And here's how we're ending. He says, what was he saying to everybody? He was saying the following. Moshe is speaking to every individual to choose life by viewing life situations positively. If something can be viewed in more than one way, make sure to view it in a positive way. We cannot choose our life experiences. As I said on Tisha B'Av, what happened to you, I cannot change. That is a state of being. The state of being is your pain, as he says here. But but how you look at it, do you look at it with despair? Do you look at it with negativity? Or do you look at it with a positive outlook? That is, according to what he's saying over here, what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. That's a state of mind, not a state of being. Re'ei, look, anoichi at me. Understand that everything that happens in the world happens for me, says Hashem. Hayom, every day, brachol klala. What you do with what happened could be a blessing and could be a curse. If you look at it positive, it's a blessing. If you look at it negative, it's a curse. And he says, very beautiful, um, the Rosh Hashiva, what is his name? will come to me in the middle. He says, beautiful the way he expresses. He says that every day when you wake up, Every day when you wake up, you get a canvas. A canvas. A piece of canvas. And a paintbrush. And paint. 
And every single day, you paint what you did that day. You make a painting of what you did that day. And at night when you go to sleep, they take that painting to Shemayim and they show, this is what she painted today. This was her life today. Bracha uklala. This was her life today. He says, every one of us, the, the blessing that each one of us has is that every single human being is an artist. And every single day you get a new canvas. And you get new paint when you wake up in the morning. Modani lefanecha. And I'll tell you when we're off tape, a story about Moda that I can't say on tape. But every single day, you're the painter. And it's how you paint that painting. And how you look at things. That's what your painting is going to look like. And then they take all your paintings together at the end of your life and make a huge painting. And Hashem says, you painted that. If you look at me, every day can be a bracha or klala. It depends how you look at that situation. I'm going to just, I want to finish, but I'm going to take it off the tape. Off the sound. I want to tell you something that happened yesterday. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.